Hey, this is Ram V. I'm the writer of comics such as Swamp Thing, Catwoman, Justice League Dark, and among other creator-owned books like The Savage Shores uh, and Graffiti's Wall. And you're listening to Spoiler Country. secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Welcome back. No. Welcome back to... I, I, you know what, dude? I just totally lost it. You yeah, do the intro. I heard that. Go for it. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley. That is Kenry Cregan. And today on the show, Jeff talks to Ram V once again. And he was on before. He's on again. I love return guests, man. I, I, every time we have a guest come back, it makes me happy. It really, it really does. I don't even have to say anything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pause so you can say something here. But you haven't paused I'll... yet until you pause for me to say, I don't even have to say anything. <laughs> well, no, this is our this is Ram a returning Cre- guest. So, yeah. And Ram V is a. Um... Oh, my God, dude. He's an incredible. He's an incredible creator, man. He's coming on to talk about Catwoman and Swamp Thing and his current DC stuff. And uh, was... check him out, man. The stuff he puts out is just fantastic. <laughs> Johnny sucks. There you guys go. <laughs> Well, <laughs> talk about not ahead, letting you, anybody you, get a word in edgewise. Jeez, man. Right here. You can you can cut us into the interview now. Go ahead. I'll, I'll give you permission. <laughs> uh, let's just do this. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we had the fantastic returning champion, Mr. Ram V. How's it going, sir? Good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it was um, definitely our pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation the last time. Yeah, same here. Same here. Good to so, be back. Oh, and it's uh, good to have you back. And so a lot of has changed with you since the last we talked. You're now doing upcoming Catwoman. You're working on an upcoming ongoing Swamp Thing series. Mm-hmm. Is there one that you're particularly more more excited about? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm pretty excited about everything I work on. Obviously, bringing back Swamp Thing after the character has not had a run for, for a while is it presents different challenges. So I find that a little bit more exciting in that sense. But in general, I'm pretty excited about anything I'm working on because I'm, you know, getting to tell the stories that I, that I wanted to tell. So most recently, you worked on the future state issues of Catwoman and Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And for those listeners who don't know, future state is a, a short series of books that follow Darkest Night Death Metal mm-hmm. and are kind of like their own separate event known as Future State. And almost every character is taking part in it. And my understanding of Future State is that it's a potential 
future of the DC universe. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are many potential futures of the DC universe because they're, each book is set kind of at a different point in the future. So I know all the Gotham books are set around the same time, but, you know, Justice League Dark is set in a different point in the future. Swamp Thing is set in a different point in the future. Uh, so these are all potential futures to the the ongoing series is that that go on from March onward. So when, when you're approaching sort of a event following a series of other events and also in, in an event book within the larger other future state events, was it easier to approach your books as their own separate miniseries or part of a larger future event concept, especially with like Catwoman, which does exist in Gotham and could potentially have, have had interactions with some of the other characters? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the way the way I look at engineering these books and, and stories is I don't I don't particularly pay a lot of attention to the 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 sort of bigger picture stuff simply because the first concern for anyone, the primary concern should be to just tell a good story. And so once we have that good story, then we start looking for, okay, where can this crossover? Where can this connect with the with the larger narrative? Obviously, the editors take care of a lot of a lot of the big picture stuff. So, when they when they presented me with like, okay, we need you to do books for Future State, there was already this bigger picture sort of plan for all the Gotham books that was that had been set up. So, a lot of that is is not my primary focus. My primary focus, as it should be, is in telling a good story. So, in making both Catwoman and Swamp Thing, were there larger discussions? discussions within the DC offices of what future books or what they should look like, what they should feel like, what they should potentially foreshadow, or were, or were they basically each writer just kind of allowed to exist on their own island without the, dealing with the, worrying about the other books? Well, I mean, in my case, I'm writing the ongoing series, so whatever foreshadowing is there was left up to me. And... While there is some connective tissue, there wasn't particularly like an overbearing sense of this needs to connect in this way. Now, I think everyone was just primarily concerned with, with you know, just telling a good story in the, in the two issues that, that each future state book got or, or four issues for some. Yeah. So, so in, the, in the Pacific books that you wrote for the ongoings that you're also writing and going to be writing, how much thought was put into making sure that these future state books were going to be the direction which your ongoings were going to follow. I mean, are, are these are still kind of like Elseworlds type books or are these books that you're definitely thinking, if I can write this story for this long, this is where I want my story to go? Well, I don't think that's quite how the thought process would work, especially in my case, because I'm writing the ongoing, obviously there's more thought and planning put into the ongoing that starts from March onward. And I don't want to limit myself by saying like, this is the future that I need to work towards. No, rather than do that, I knew what I was going to do for the ongoing stories. And so all I had to do was present the future as an extrapolation of the events that are going to happen there and see if there were potentials for things to connect in an interesting way, I suppose. So I, I, I don't see why I would constrain myself by limiting my ongoing to have to work towards this two-issue future that I presented. Rather, the two-issue future is an extrapolation of things that you will see in the ongoing. Okay, and, and you've been writing Catwoman since issue 25, is that correct? Yeah. So what makes you 
excited about writing for Catwoman. Do you find her written better when she's more villainous, or do you like the idea that she is proven more and more to be more of your anti-hero? I mean, there are very few characters that I think work as just flat out irredeemable with villains, uh, and they are they are interesting to write in their own sense. But I don't think Selena's ever been that kind of character. I know she's had villainous tendencies as she does to this day, but there's always been this sense of Catwoman having her own moral compass of what is right and wrong and, and kind of working to her own rules. And so at least in my my history of reading her. So yeah, I'm, I'm continuing on in that vein. As far as what excites me, I just like telling good stories and, and Catwoman lets me scratch my street level crime itch. I'm doing a few interesting things with that and that I'm trying to connect the kind of big bombast of the Batman world with the grounded reality of Salinas. So yeah, yeah, interesting avenues to explore. And and one thing I really liked about reading the, the Future State issue, uh, the first one, obviously, I don't think the second one's been released yet, but the first mm. issue of uh, Catwoman Future State is that it implies that there's a part of Catwoman's current heroism that stems from her love of Batman and wanting to do what Batman would want to see her become. In, in that sense, what do you think makes Batman perfect for Catwoman as characters? And what do you think makes Catwoman perfect as a Batman, either love interest or partner? Well, I don't think, I don't think that's quite right. The implication is that she's doing what Batman would have, but the implication is also that she's doing what Batman would have in his memory because the, her understanding is that Batman has died. And so think of it more as her doing this as an homage on, on some level to, and I think that's a natural tendency, right? So when, when two people are emotionally involved and, and are, their, their friendship goes to, to intimate levels, you naturally tend to pick up things from each other. You kind of, you're friends with people that you also admire on some level. And so I think part of that is bleeding through into, into her character. As far as what makes them perfect, I'm, I'm very loath to use words like perfect. I just think that they care for each other. And, and in the scenario that is presented, it's very dangerous for these characters to care about other characters and, and other people. And so I think there is some measure of safety in, in Batman and Catwoman caring for each other because they know they can handle, they can handle it. If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where my my head's at on that relationship. Yeah. Now, now, for a little while, there was this is a couple of years back. There was some discussion of obviously the Batman Catwoman marriage, which if it had happened, would be impact. You know, would impact what you were doing now with Catwoman on in the ongoing. Sure. And obviously, that's something that's always probably still present in the characters that this could be something that eventually could happen. Is that a storyline that is of interest to you, um, Batman, Batman and Catwoman actually being married or are you kind of glad that never went reached for uh, fruition? I mean, I really don't have too many thoughts on whether it should have happened one way or the other. As a professional, you know, I'm presented with a starting point to status quo and my job is to build from there. I do think that their, their relationship is an interesting thing to explore in terms of character growth and drama in your in your series. But I have no particular thoughts on on anyone's run that came before me. So I, I think there's ways to make it work both ways, to be honest, as a professional. And so while I understand readers and fans have very strong opinions on, on whether things should have worked out one way or the other, my job is to tell a good story 
from the starting point that I'm presented with. And, and hopefully that's what I'm doing. And, and just to sort of add to that, that relationship has existed since long before the, the marriage. If you, if you read When in Rome or you, you read any pretty much any of the classic Catwoman runs, there's always been this undercurrent of her relationship with Batman. Well, of course. I mean, there, there was the Elseworld stories where they were married and the original Huntress was supposed to be the child of both mm-hmm. um, Catwoman and Batman. So, I mean, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. I, th- I think over the last 10 years, they've been moving, making it more pronounced that that potential is there in the regular continuity. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong in that, but it feels like it's been more in the last 10 or 20 years. Could are there, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, are, are there in your future run of Catwoman, is that something you're going to explore now and again, the relationship more, or are you going to keep it more or more fully Selena Kyle centric? I think any writer, like if I'm given a character and I said, Hey, Ram, we want you to write Catwoman stories. I think predominantly the stories have to be about Catwoman. You know, I think it's a disservice to the writer to, to constantly be writing her as an after effect of Batman's actions. And so on that, on, purely on that level, I think my stories focus on Selena and, and rightly so, in my opinion. But that I'm interested in that relationship as part of the character. And I'm interested in that relationship as part of the character growth and direction. So there's certainly parts of my story that, that focus on that and focus on the implications of that relationship. Yeah. And so in your future state first issue, you're focusing on kind of a great train robbery concept, mm-hmm. which is one which is one of the great types of stories that have been around since the old West, you know, the old days of the old West, the great you know, train robbery. There was that sure. great Michael Crichton book and movie in the seventies, the great train robbery. Mm-hmm. Did you look back at any of the old books and movies for inspiration to create your um, train heist uh, comic? I mean, I didn't particularly look back at one or two. I've I've seen all of them. I've read quite a few. I know how the the genre and the trope works. So it was just a matter of kind of running with that. There's also the connection to the kinder transport that happened during the Second World War with with Jewish kids being put on train in Nazi Germany. The implications of that and parallels to you know a fascistic state like Gotham is becoming uh, were also interesting things that I drew on. Uh, to create that scenario, but largely, you know, these stories exist, and and I've and I've read them in the past, so they're already there, kind of in my in my canon, if you will. And I mean, the the first uh, issue of, F- of Future State Cat one was a fantastically well written issue, Thank and you. you know, you're welcome. And I think one of the cool details that you added in is the timer. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think you set it at 20 minutes, and then as the story goes along, you're kind of clocking down. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously, the cool thing about the timer is that it creates automatically some some tension because you the, the clock is going down. You know, that obviously creates some concern for you know time running and everything like that. Was there was there also in your writing? Were you trying to create sort of like a real time element? Were you thinking how long would it take me to do this in this scene? How long would this scene take? And trying to make it clock out, and I guess in a real time kind of way. Well, I don't think I don't think we're trying to emulate real time because comics don't work that way. Unlike unlike film, uh, where you can shoot only in real time, or you can slow things down or speed them up. But comics are still images, so it's very it's very dubious to insinuate real time using still images. The timer kind of exists for that a little bit to to give you a sense of time as as you're going through the still images. I think it influences the reading. Like you might read three images at a certain speed. And then if you, if I put a timer on it and say, Oh my God, time's running out, you might read them at a, at a faster speed. And so I think 
there is a there is an interesting entertaining concept in there to use but i'm not trying to to emulate real time rather i'm trying to give the readers a sense of time always running out time always passing as they're reading through this comic was it fun to kind of experiment with with making comic books feel like, like they're moving like as you said you're having trying to affect the reading of the comic book of your, you know, of your reader by giving them a sense of the time that that must be kind of a fun thing to play with. I mean, I think every comic book writer does that because that's what pacing is. And, and so every writer when they're writing a story has, has hopefully has an intent for the pacing of that story and, and, and what speed it should be read at and what pages you want the readers to linger on for a little longer and what pages you want them to run through quicker. And so I think those considerations already exist. They're just being translated onto the page in a, in a very overt way when I put a timer on everything. So the other cool thing that you did with Future State is that you um, brought in a villain, Onomatopoeia, which who isn't, I would say, is probably not one of the most famous villain, but definitely one that was made well-known, I think it was after the Kevin Smith run of combat, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So, sure. so why Anamanapia? What, what made you think, you know what, this is would be a great character to bring back into the, the, the comic book world of DC? He's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a dude who talks only in sound effects. What's not to like? <laughs> he, he definitely is one of the most unique characterizations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like if I brought anyone else in, there would have been too much weight of history, weight of character behind it. Whereas bringing on a Matapia and like the moment you see him, you know that, okay, this is just going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I wanted that element of like, this is a crazy addition to this story. And, and, and he's got, he's got a role to play and he's kind of, he's kind of cool. But I mean, it's two issues, so there's not much in terms of story for me to 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 dig into, given given the kind of real estate that I have. So my my reason for having him there was just, you know, I want to have fun and I want to have someone with Selena. Otherwise, just her going lonely, going through a train is kind of boring. So yeah, and the, the interesting thing about Anamapia, let's say he's a fun character, but I, I think potentially as a writer. Is it hard to have the character express things only using the sound? Like, is, was that kind of fun and but challenging at the same time? Nope. It's it's just hilarious <laughs> writing that writing that script. Like, and it's the easiest thing to do because, I mean, we all grew up watching you know Tom and Jerry. We all grew up watching old Disney cartoons, which are just silent. There's not there's not a lot of dialogue in them, and so if you grew up watching those things, you know how to write fun sequences without too much dialogue because he does show up in future say are you going to try to incorporate him more in the catwoman ongoing is he going to come back you think i don't know yet i just used him as a fun addition we'll see if the opportunity presents itself we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it <laughs> <laughs> and also the issue um without, i can't i'm not gonna give any spoilers but it has i would say two pretty big surprises by the end of the of the first issue and the, the surprises that are in the, the issue are, not, are pretty impactful. I mean, especially considering how many other characters it tend, potentially would impact that the right. big surprise in yours. So was there any, like I said, was there a discussion that, you know, to let it happen in your, in your book versus maybe one of the other books? Did, you know, like, was there dibs called as it were? No, not that I, not that I 
know of anyway. Like in my conversations with my editors, we talked about the sequence of events for some of those characters. Like, so so we're not presenting like contradictory things in in simultaneously in two books. But outside of that, I think even creators are very happy to work with each other rather than stand against each other, you know? So in your opinion, why do you think the surprise was best delivered in Catwoman? Well, because I'm writing the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I do, you know, I I do agree with you on on that. But I guess guess the question would be, do you think it adds something to the the Catwoman story that it's going to be her who is the one, you know what I'm saying, with that discovery? would Yeah, work. of course. I mean, there's there's so much history to those characters, right? And it's not by chance that I layered in that element of she's doing this because she thinks Batman is dead. And so I think there is that resonance of doing something because you believe, you know, X, Y, Z is true. And then as you're doing it, realizing that your motivation is perhaps misplaced and what does that say about the character? And what does that do to the relationship between those two characters? What does that do for their motivations? All, all interesting things. As a, as a writer, you always want to create more drama. And so, you know, bring it on. If I can, if I could have added another reveal at the end that would have added to the drama, I would have done it. So do you want to hint at any of the reveals for issue two? Well, issue two is a, is a conclusion. So if I if I drop in a, a massive reveal at the end of issue two, people are going to kill me. So <laughs> no, I think I think issue two will largely conclude things. There are, there are a few revelations here and there, but you know, just sit back, enjoy the ride. And the interesting thing about the about future state, I mean, obviously we have the regular incontinuity uh, Catwoman ongoing. Eventually, we're getting a Swamp Thing um, ongoing. Is there any hope or potential that the future state? timeline will be revisited with more stories that exist in that timeline? No, I don't really see it as two different timelines. The future state is the current timeline extrapolated, at least with my stories. So there's no, there's no question of revisiting the timeline. Of course, there's always a possibility that you could pick up a story that's set somewhere in the future and, and write it. So, Well, how about with um, your future state swamp thing? Is that existing in this the same type of timeline as your catwoman future state or like in the future of that state i mean like i said it's all just one future and these are all placed at different points in the same timeline if you will so so i don't understand i don't understand the question there because swamp thing happens you know five thousand four thousand five hundred years in the future i mean it's a random number that they've thrown out but it happens far enough into the future where all of the other characters have stopped existing, but it's still the same timeline as all of the other books. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I guess my, my, my question that would have been is more because of it took so place in the future and it's so Swamp Thing centric. Mm-hmm. Was there, no, is there consensus that that really is the potential destination of the superhero verse, especially I guess when you consider, you know, it also, supposedly exist in the same universe that you're gonna have legion of superheroes in the 32nd whatever century that takes place and all of that obviously it feels there's potentiality for the idea of like the multiple future all of the future states are futures that are going to happen for instance i wrote the the justice league dark story and the revelation and that at the end is that that future is one of many possible futures they are trying to avoid and so it depends really on how the story is written and, and 
whether events happen that are expressly taken to avoid the features that you've seen in future state or if events will you know inexorably lead to the future yeah, and and I and I think it's really cool that you're also were able to work on that Swamp Thing Future State series because I think you wrote one of the, my favorite Swamp Swamp Thing stories within your Just Sleep Dark. I think it was the annual that we mm-hmm. discussed back in a while back. Do do you think Swamp Thing? Do you enjoy? Did you enjoy him more working with Swamp Thing in within a team, or did you like him better as a solo character? Mm, I think my preference is is for Swamp Thing as a solo character. I mean, don't get me wrong. I certainly enjoyed writing him. Uh, in, in Justice League Dark, but those are Justice League Dark stories. And I think Swamp Thing stories have a flavor, a, a tone, an atmosphere to them that are unique to that character. And there is a joy in being able to use that and write in that genre, if you will. Like they're they're a bit quieter, they're a bit more thoughtful, they're uh, they're a bit more horrific. And it wouldn't it would be unfair to the rest of the team to write Justice League dark stories in that way. And so yeah, I think I think they're two completely different stories, even if even if you're featuring the same character in both. So why do you think Swamp Thing works so well as a more contemplative character? I mean, I don't I can't remember I don't I don't remember the original Swamp Thing stories that they were always Swamp Thing was always written in that manner. But I mm. do think the stories work well with him as a, a much deeper, thoughtful character. What do you think is about him that does make him that way? Well, I think it's got to do with human beings and their and their fascination with things that far outstrip their own lifetimes. I think I think humanity by itself is fascinated with two kinds of things: things that exist for a very short time and things that exist for a very long time. Anything that is close to us in terms of lifetimes. We're not that fascinated with, I don't know, this is just an observation that that I'm making. And, and so I feel like because Swamp Thing is the embodiment of trees and plants and, and things that either vastly outlive us or, or live for such a short period compared to us, there is a outsider's view of beauty and love and and compassion that we don't get to see if we're looking through human eyes. And so I think especially people like Moore or or the Vage run or or to an extent the the Dysart run as well, they they looked at these things through the view of something that is bigger than than being human. And so yeah, I think that's a that's a philosophical concept that lends itself to to interrogation and more cerebral stories. Well, I think a great part that you wrote in the Future State Swamp Thing series is that you wrote that it's written that humans' preoccupation was with violence. And is that something that you think does exist as our defining characteristic? And do you think that's something that's that's like a permanent state of people? I do, sadly. I think I think violence is is a mode of expression we as human beings use when we are unable to express ourselves in in more constructive ways and i think that it has always been a part of our history if you go back and look through most of history at no point have we achieved change without some manner of violence affecting it i mean look at look at great paradigm shifts the the magna carta or democracy or capitalism or just 
coming out of the dark ages, a judicial system, any of these things, all of them were brought into existence through violent means in, 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 some, in one way or the other. And so I think without making, you know, moral judgments on it, I think it is a, a, a in, inherent part of human nature. And I think rightly human beings as they evolve on a, on a societal and, and, and mental level should be trying to move away from certain parts of their own nature. Do you think it's an offshoot of evolution, the idea of being dominant and dominant and survival, having to be often in nature violent? Do you, th do you think that's just a primitive part of us or do you think that is unique to the human existence? I mean, I think your answer is kind of embedded in your question. We are the only species on this planet that is capable of, at least that we know of to any great extent, that is capable of looking back at itself and being aware of its evolution. And, and in being aware, that means you are also playing a part in your own evolution because you're aware of certain things and you're making judgments as to the, whether those things are, are right or wrong. And so having that awareness automatically kind of doesn't let you have the excuse of, oh, well, this is just a primitive nature of me, but you know that it's primitive. And so in, in knowing that there's something you can do about it. And so I don't buy into the, oh, we're just animals. That's why we act this way. No, I think human beings are far more hedonistic and they, they choose to act as is convenient to them. When it is convenient, you are intellectual and advanced. When it is inconvenient, you're just primal and acting out. So I don't think there are there are such simplistic explanations as to why people behave that way. So, and when you're reading Swamp Thing Future State, it does seem to have the suggestion that the humans did never did learn to evolve out of that violence. Is that correct? As a society, yeah. the The implication is that no matter how much people try to move away from it you end up returning to it as a as a mode of affecting change. But the implication also is that human beings are the only people capable of moving away from that violence and, and trying to be better. And so, as ever, the eternal question is, how much do we should we need to try? How much do we have to try to be better than what we are? It's kind of interesting thinking about humanity in that sense, where it feels like any individual person taken by themselves is capable of being evolved, civil, but once the group happens, it becomes far more difficult. Would you agree? No, I don't think so. I think you can't look at human beings as individuals separate from their group because I think by their definition, human beings and their personalities exist only as part of a social structure. They are social animals. If you, if you isolate a human being and don't give them any company. I don't know that you can really talk of that person uh, as being an example, a valid example of, of arguments that we make with regards to humanity. So I think that's, that's a, I think that's a flawed question to ask. I don't think that it's possible to separate individual behavior as disconnected from, from societal behavior. We might do it for certain things, but it's not def definitive in that, Oh, individuals are capable of being civil. Well, then you have sociopaths who are individuals who do terrible things. So, so I think it's impossible to separate the societal context when discussing humanity. 
Well, when you're, when you're looking at something, an individual, obviously not human, like uh, Swamp Thing is only part, well, he's maybe partially human, depending how you look at it, who does have that extremely long lifespan. Do you find that's an element of Swamp Thing that makes him more capable of change or less capable because he's been around for so such a long period of time? I think that's a very interesting question. I think that is, really is at the heart of Swamp Thing, what you've asked, is is his role as someone who exists kind of outside of human life cycles, but also the internal struggle of having that tether to humanity and having the ability to intervene. And I think that's where the drama of the character comes from, uh, is that there's heartbreak in being so painfully human, but also having this role of being the silent watcher who, who has to watch people fail and struggle and succeed over and over again. And, and I think that's why I think it was very interesting that you wrote in the first Future State Swamp Thing book that Swamp Thing was made as um, an instrument of something that's greater of greater violence than the humans ever could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And which is an interesting idea about Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing is usually portrayed as a very almost saint-like philosophical character so mm-hmm. that you point out that he was made by, I guess, the world as something even more potentially violent than humans. Mm-hmm. So like, how did you feel the balance of that? And how does Alec Holland connect to the idea of the saint-like or the more philosophical Swamp Thing versus the original idea of the greater, the greatest violence or possibility of violence from a, that creature's existence? I'm going I'm to store this answer away under the it's confidential because you should read my ongoing series. Okay. File. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a good answer. And the, the, that ongoing does, it starts in March, correct? Yes, it starts next month. I, I say, and it looks fantastic. And, and also, I find, I find the inclusion of how Swamp Thing formed his being as something that's very fascinating. Because throughout the Future State books, you have multiple pages where it talks about how Swamp Thing kind of almost brought himself into existence. And, and does it symbolize Swamp Thing as either kind of a godlike type character or almost like an Adam, uh, like a Adam and Eve type Adam who is the first of his kind? I mean, it, it's it's less talking about how he, how he made himself and more talking about how he made these other characters. And in that, I suppose I'm trying to say that there is godliness in, in creating things. And it, it's not just Swamp Thing, it's, it's all of us. When we sit down, sorry, that's my doorbell going off. No worries. We'll have to edit that part out. <laughs> no worries. But I guess I'm trying to insinuate that there is godliness in, in every act of creation. In that, I think that really truly, if, if the capability for violence is something I look at as, as distasteful, I think the capacity for creating things is truly our saving grace, in my opinion. And everyone displays it. When you write a story, when you create a piece of art, you're creating something from, from nothing. And that is an unusual gift. And, and it is amazing that, that we have it. And I suppose in exploring how Swamp Thing created these creatures, I'm trying to touch on that on that fact of it's not just godlike it's also very human to to want to create things and invest into them your love and your emotions uh, if you will 
Yeah, and I really do like the idea of exploring sort of the humanity aspect of Swamp Thing. And in the, in the issues, you do the same thing with the character, I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, Venon? Is, is that? Yeah. Venon, where Swamp Thing is very, seems very fascinated by him and is searching for remnants of humanity. So is, is it the human part of him that is longing for another human companion? Is it because humans are part of sort of like the Earth cycle and as aspects of nature, he, it's a natural part that he wants back into the world? Why, why does he care so much? Because he doesn't exist without humanity. Because there is no need for him without humanity. There's no need to tell his story without humanity. The green is not quite what it is without humanity. The fact that we, we say that the green is sentient and has thoughts and it decides to act one way or the other in itself is, the fact, is because we're imprinting human emotions and motivations onto a concept that is much bigger than that. And so I think despite all these delineations of the green and the red and the gray being separate, they're all connected to humanity. And so I don't understand how Swamp Thing could potentially consider something as separate from whether it is his own humanity or humanity in general. Because the other characters that are wet Swamp Thing do not seem to share his interest in humanity. That, would that be a, a, a correct assumption? To an extent. The other characters that are with Swamp Thing are also eventually revealed to be parts of Swamp Thing. So can you truly separate and compartmentalize parts of yourself that way? Who mm. knows? No, that's a good point. Good point. I, know, I mean, you, you brought in also, there's a lot of interesting characters that are introduced in the future state swamp thing that hopefully are used more often. Like you have obsidian used who hasn't been really hasn't been used at all since the new 52. If, if memory serves. Right. Um, and, not only is he, and not only is it a great character and connections to the original green lantern, but mm-hmm. it does suggest then that the pre new 52 continuity is now back in full force. Would that be correct? Well, my understanding is that everything happened is a new mantra, right? So I don't, as, as a writer, I don't particularly concern myself too much with continuity and having to explain everything because it works within the context of the story. And I know there are people who enjoy putting all the pieces together, but I think the truth of life is that those people are going to have to be happy with certain contradictions existing, right? Because... It's part of human storytelling. If you look at the great epics that have been collected over time, they're rife with contradictions. So I would urge people to think of uh, continuity in any of these huge superhero universes as kind of like that, put together piecemeal, so rife with contradictions. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, does it bother you as a writer that some proportion of the fan base is so continuity-obsessive? No, it doesn't bother me at all. I think stories mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think people, some people enjoy putting that stuff together like a puzzle in which there is a joy. And, and, and so people should do and experience stories and read them for whatever reason they enjoy it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to say this is one thing is better than the other. My preoccupations don't exist there. Like, I would I will gladly read three stories in the same book that contradict each other as long as they're all good, you know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. But I, I would also I would think as a writer, being dealing with some of these continuities that go back forty years, must maybe somewhat stifling if you wanted to be one hundred percent devoted to that 
uh, continuity. I mean, if you wanted to, I imagine that'd be stifling. For me, it's all fun. Like, I love it. I love it when there are contradicting versions. My brain says, okay, how can I use all these contradicting versions of the same character and do something fun with it? And so, yeah, it depends depends on how you approach it. And I'm sure there are writers who who think that that, that continuity is, is sacrosanct and... And then there are writers who I assume like me look at it and go like, this is just bizarre and fun. I guess it, it kind of matters on how you view comic books, whether or not you're reading, I guess if you're a continuity heavy individual, you, re- you view comic books as sort of like a history. It, it's, I mean, it's a fictional history, but a history. If you can all, but you can also look at comic books sort of like a mythology, like a Greek mythology, which is also not in far as its own continuity within Greek mythology does not hold either. I mean, there's many different yeah. stories to have many different characters in many different ways. And you do kind of pick which part of the continuity you want to accept, I guess. I got terrible news for you. I think history also works the same way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's a, that's, it's a good point. That, 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 there's a good point. It's also <laughs> rife with contradictions and, and contradicting narratives and largely depending on how you've been educated or how much you've read or how much you've chosen to believe in, you, people still make that choice of believing one version of history versus another version of history. I mean, I don't think we'd have half the problems that we have today if, if people could agree on one, one version of history. And so I think it's the nature of stories. I think it's the nature of narratives to be contradictory. There is no objective truth. Sadly, there are there are facts that we we can agree on and we can have general consensus on because of the dissemination of knowledge around them. But is human nature to to want to interpret things. And so whatever we have is an interpretation of the truth. And and really, as societies, we drive to build consensus in that interpretation rather than the truth itself. Oh, I agree. I agree with you, um, 100. And and you do have a good point about history being far more of a fluid concept than we probably would like it to be. As far as yeah, I think <laughs> I think the the harm and the danger comes from sort of discussing history as this kind of immovable object that that we must all bow down to and edify. And, and I think that's where the dangers come of of becoming dogmatic about believing things in history, whereas the truth of truth of the matter is often far more complex and, and has many different points of views to take into consideration. So I think comic books exist in the same way. They're far, characters are far more complex and have many different versions of themselves to take into consideration. I think that's an excellent point. And, and like I said, one thing I really did enjoy um, about the future state is that you really do feel like you've gone into the thought process of an individual. And I guess in the, at the end of the day, more important than history or canon is the, the character itself and how you delve into the psychology of that character. Yeah, to an extent, even that is in service of the story. The most important thing is that when you finish the book, you felt something. You felt happy. You felt sad. You felt great. You felt depressed. I'm trying to evoke emotion. That is truly my one and only consideration. Everything else is in is in service of that. And and I and I think one of the cool things that you did, you introduced or you brought into the story of uh, uh, Woodrue, which I think is a great character, and he feels like he's very much the antithesis of Swamp Thing. Would you agree with that? And is that kind of why you feel that he was a good character to 
play as a um, antagonist to Swamp Thing? Yeah, to an extent in my head, they they work as as opposites of each other because in, in some way, here's a monster trying to find its humanity and there's a human being trying to find the monstrosity within himself. So I think there's a nice symmetry to that. And I like symmetrical things and exploring kind of the nuances of symmetrical themes that exist between those characters, if you will. So once a lot of these future state uh, stories are meant to come out and introduce and kind of lead into the future ongoing. That's why a lot of the, at least in my opinion, why a lot of the writers and teams on the future states are doing the ongoings. And like you, and like we mentioned, Swamp Thing is definitely getting its ongoing in, in March. Mm-hmm. And however, though, in the ongoing, Alec Holland is not the the main Swamp Thing. It's a character, I'm going to get the name wrong, Levi Kamei. Kamei, sorry, yeah. thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. What was there, does, does that suggest that the run of Levi Kamei's character is going to be more short-lived and eventually Alec Holland will reassert itself as the primary character of Swamp Thing? Or once again, do they not relate in that way? I don't know. I would go back and urge you to look at Future State and see where it says that that Swamp Thing is Alec Holland. All right. That's a good point. I think I assumed it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's great because I think part of writing Swamp Thing is, is in knowing that regardless of who is the host, that the character Swamp Thing says true to who that character is. And so I think that's that's another fascinating thing that the Swamp Thing exists across time, but its hosts change. And so there's an opportunity to explore interesting stories within that as well. And the idea of memory and the idea of things that we carry forward across life and death, if you will. So, uh, yeah, yeah, those are those are all things we will explore in the ongoing. So would you say that the dominant aspect of Swamp Thing is the Swamp Thing or the human host? If I if I could answer that, I wouldn't need to write the stories. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. So the, the Swamp Thing ongoing series is a six issue series, correct? It's not ongoing. Uh, it's a 10 issue season one. And we will we will discuss a season two depending on how well the ten issues do. So, urge everyone who likes Swamp Thing to go and buy a copy to make sure we get a season two. So, listeners, write to your local editor of the DC Comic Books. Make this happen. Buy your books. So, why did you decide to use a different host for this um, miniseries, and how does this does this impact the, the entirety of the story? Well, I think. You have to ask yourselves, why do we tell stories, right? And stories are cultural reflections of, of where we are now and where we are today. And sometimes I hear people talk about stories and say, oh, all the, all the great stories, all the original stories have been written. And I always reply to them. I say, that, no, it's because you're looking for stories in a place that doesn't exist anymore. You're looking for stories in the same places that you were looking 20 years ago, you know? And so... I think part of my motivation behind changing the host is to go like, this story needs to go forward to another place, to another context, to more other characters, other drama. And so what happens if you are 
telling swapping stories and you've been telling them for, for 30, 40 years with, with Alec Holland at the heart of them, you're exploring certain kinds of stories with Swamp Thing that is the avatar of the green, but you're eventually exploring the same drama with Alec Holland over and over again. And I think that there's something evolutionary and, and freeing in being able to explore another character and being able to explore Swamp Thing through the eyes of another host because then it brings back that sense of discovery. Oh, I'm going to discover Swamp Thing again through the eyes of another character, through the context of another character who's from a different place, who has had different experiences and different relationships. And so purely functionally from a writing perspective, it just rejuvenates the character in, in, in areas and directions and ways that wouldn't have been possible uh, if we had stuck to the same human host that we've been writing about for, you know, three, four decades. So as an individual, how does Levi differentiate from Alec? Well, you'll have to read to find that out. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I, I guess I could just read the issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about it for forever, but the, the point is that, that all of that exists in the work. So I would, I would urge people to go read the work and find it out. So, and just so, I mean, I know what you say, you know, obviously read the issues, but my, I guess what my question is, does the difference of Levi versus Alec going to be greater than the fact that Levi will be new to the Swamp Thing versus Alex obviously been doing it for a while? And is it going to be a, a true change in perspective of what the green should be? Again, I'd be revealing to you issue three and four if, if I talked about this. So, is, is there going to be more Justice League Dark ongoings in, in the future? Because at first, I, can, I have not seen solicitations for Justice League Dark in May from my recollection. So Justice League Dark is now 10 paid stories in the Justice League book. It's still an ongoing. It's still the same story being told every month. From what I understand, there'll be months where you get more than one installation of, of a Justice League Dark story. So there's very much a Justice League Dark ongoing that I've written about half of that will be starting in March. So yeah, I think it's just being paired as in other cases with the with the Justice League story. Do you think there's going to be potential that if these stories still continue to p prove popular that they'll bring them back to their own ongoing? To an extent. I'm not particularly concerned with that because and I, I keep giving this explanation to people. When I was a kid growing up in India, I didn't have access to a lot of Marvel DC stuff. Certainly none of the monthly issues, impossible to get them in India every Wednesday, if you will. So I grew up reading these things called digests that had one or two main stories and a couple of backups in them that were European reprints. And I enjoy that format. And, and I think there are, interesting challenges to be telling a story in, in, in 10 page installations. And there's stuff you can do with that, that you can't really do in a 20 pager. And so if it gets its own, own sort of series again, that's a format decision and a, and a decision that's left to publishing people. And I'm not concerned with that. I am concerned with, I'm telling my story in this format. And it is interesting and fun. I, from what I understand, there is there are plans to collect collect the stories, but more on that as and when we find out. So, are there characters in the magic realm of DC that you're looking forward to 
introducing into your Justice League backs to backup stories or the ones that you wish you or you want to have use if this continues long enough? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're really backup stories in the classical sense because backup stories tend to be kind of one and done each time, whereas this is still an ongoing. And, and so it is going to be one kind of long narrative being told over multiple issues. And my intention with, with the characters is when, when they came to me and said, look, Ram, it's going to be 10, 10 pages with the Justice League book. What do you want to do with this? I said, well, let me just go wild. Let me take, <laughs> let me take. If whatever character I want, obscure characters, popular characters, and let me show them in a new light. And I think that's what we've done with the story. So I'm quite excited for, for readers to look at it. It's quite unlike anything else I've written in the DCU so far. So, so can you preview what some of these newer characters into the Justice League Darkening that our listeners can look forward to seeing? Yeah, so Ragman's back. I love um, Ragman. <laughs> Etrigan and Jason Blood are back. Nice. Merlin's back in in more ways than than you might imagine. And yeah, there's going to be new characters. There's a new character called the Eternal Knight that I'm introducing. There are, you know, there are a couple of stories that involve Batman. There are a couple of stories that involve Aquaman. So it's really going all over the place. I even brought back a character from the old Kirby demon series called Randu Singh, who hasn't been around in a really long time. So yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to make your a... obscure character fans take note. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I will make a, a pitch, not a pitch, but I, I would say if you can ever bring back Zoriel, I used to, I love the character when you in the Morrison run of JLA. And mm-hmm. I think he's been horribly underutilized in DC over the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, there's DTU's kind of full of these kind of characters that have that have existed that are really interesting and and haven't really been taken up. So I will I will endeavor to take some of them up during this run and and just having fun with them. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're bringing back Ragman because I always felt Ragman it was a character that was made to be far more popular than he you know than he ended up being because he's, he's he's a fun character. He's such a cool looking character and he's a fun character. I really felt he he deserved way more ongoings and storylines than he ever had. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't concern myself with what a character deserves, doesn't I just enjoy the character. And so I'm going to use him in however many stories that I want to use him. And we'll also be doing this thing where the team kind of rotates. So we'll get characters in and out. Like you'll see Dr. Fade is kind of out of commission early on, but then his his role starts becoming more and more important as the stories go on. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be a far more fluid idea of what a team is and what a team book can do. Well, I'm, I'm excited to read those stories. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Ram, for talking with me. It was great to have you back. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks thanks to for inviting me. Yeah, and, and like I said, look forward to, to our listeners for Swamp Thing ongoing in March, the Justice League stories, dark stories and the Justice League stories. And continuing with Catwoman, I look forward to them all. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting, exciting month to to kick off kind of new story runs, and I'm quite I'm quite thrilled to to see what readers think of them. Yeah, and like I said, and anytime you have more stories ongoing coming up, please come back on the show. Yeah, yeah, it'd be my pleasure. All right, have a very good day, sir. Yeah, you too. Thanks, sir. Right. Yeah, bye. And we're back. That's right. We are back. 
back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out SpoilerVerse.com because at SpoilerVerse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> It's, it's a good word. <laughs> we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers. And, oh, my God, are you a lover of comic books like we are? And then there's so many, so many amazing people from the comic book world over at SpoilerVerse.com. And I highly implore you to go there and check it out. Yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcasts on our network, like Bridges and Geekdoms and Funny Book Forensics and Haphazard Adventures and Nerds from the Crypt and so many more. Misery Point Radio. episodes all the time. Misery Point Radio has about a ton of great stuff out there. Go check all of them out. And check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Swillivers.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. You want to help support the site? You can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it obviously on all the socials, but if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> There you, go. you just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And... <laughs>